Welcome to the Oil Down Coffee Club Podcast, the meeting after the meeting where we talk about our experience living sober. We don't speak for Alcoholics Anonymous. This is only our experience. We have no monopoly on sobriety. If you don't like our approach, that's okay. There's lots of ways to live and lots of ways to live sober. This works for us. I'm Don. Hey, Don. Hey, everybody. I'm Sam. I'm dying here, Don, because I swear that you said the meeting after the beating. (laughs) The meeting after the beating. (laughs) No, what this is going to turn into, if you don't calm down, is going to be the beating after the meeting. (laughs) Hey, you know, I told you early on that the caffeine makes you rambunctious. It looks like it got me today. (laughs) (laughs) That's okay. I'm letting you do what you want to do. I'm letting go as hard as I possibly can. That's kind of like the new bless your heart. You do you. (laughs) You do you. (laughs) What's shaking, Don? I've been reading the Dow. The Dow. I always want to go Dow D. Ching! Ka-ching! Every day for my morning meditation. And it's always talking about emptiness. And I'm just, I'm, I'm trying to be empty. I've got, I'm carrying nothing. I'm in the present moment. I'm as... I'm as empty as a chocolate bunny. <laughs> maybe, <laughs> maybe a chocolate owl. A chocolate owl. You know, they don't fill those things up with chocolate. I think that's a, a cost saving. Ripoff. I know. I've always felt like it. I'm a <laughs> shell of my former self. <laughs> <laughs> but that was the goal. <laughs> yes. Yes. So I'm, so no, so not a spiritual gas giant, but a spiritual gas filled giant. I'm filled with gas. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Thank goodness we're this is a virtual recording. <laughs> you don't have to be here. There's a cloud around you like pig pen on the peanuts. <laughs> the cloud of unknowing. I'm glad I don't know. Uh, <laughs> well, I've got some news. Yeah. We found a house. Mm. Yes, we are in escrow and uh, hopefully the house will be inspected uh, next weekend and uh, and hopefully everything will be good and we'll be closing on it within uh, within a month. Is it a house that is separated from neighbors? Yes. Because yes. where you're living now, I knew <laughs> it was going to be a problem because you had a problem in your previous neighborhood with people that were across the street making noise and the next door neighbor's dogs and the other neighbors like making faces out the window at you. <laughs> no, I mean, and I knew one, it was going to be hard for you to be living in a condo situation. Yeah, I mean, this was supposed to be temporary all along. Um, uh-huh. But uh, but yeah, we're thrilled to have found it. And dude, it's got like a privacy wall all around it. Like there is going to be so much nudity in that backyard. It's going to terrify the, the wildlife. <laughs> Just be sure to turn off the camera when you're zooming. Oh, fine. And put a shirt on. I've got a shirt on right now. I might be Donald Ducking, but I do have a shirt. I'm not Donald Ducking. (laughs) Donald Ducking. That would be rude to our guest. Oh. I don't care if it's rude to you, Don. (laughs) Introduce yourself. Hi. Hi, I'm Jen. I'm an alcoholic. Hey, Jen. We're so glad you're here. I'm Jen, glad to thanks be here. for being here. Are you sure? Because after that banter bit, I don't know. You might be a little afraid. <laughs> I, know. I know I am. <laughs> How are you doing, Jen? <laughs> Fantastic. The, have you got something to drink? You you got some coffee? I do. I have some kombucha. Is my new thing that I'm really liking. It's a white girl drink. Yeah. I don't know. Isn't that like <laughs> sauerkraut? Uh, kind of. Yeah. It's vinegary, but like, I guess it like makes me feel like I'm like getting hair on my chest, like instead of like when I used to drink my, like my alcohol. So it's like, it's, I've, I've, I don't know. I, I still have like the oral fixation of alcoholism. <laughs> so uh, I always have to have something like weird to drink. So, yeah. 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 <laughs> Just because I quit drinking doesn't mean I'm not thirsty. That's right. (laughs) Give me something to drink at all times. So when you drank, were you more of a 
spinata or whiskey. <laughs> There's a, the you know spinata. That was spinata was like that's really old. That's really you're that, really dating yourself there, Don. When I yeah, first I started drinking, I drank spinata, which is kind of like um, soda wine. It was kind of oh. like a Dr Pepper wine. But it was a wine that was real fruity. So it was real, real sweet. Boone's Farms, that kind of thing. And it yeah, sounds like I, a good reason that it's no longer available. I was like the not classy person that would like drink beer with a straw because I didn't like the taste of it. And um, I'd put ice in my wine. You know, I was just like real classy, real classy. <laughs> yeah. Um, and it was just like, you know, like juice glasses full of of alcohol you know it's, it's quickly as quicker as I can get it down I didn't really like the actual drink I liked what it affected yeah. yeah I hear you I was a shot drinker uh, it, it, you know you took me to a bar I, I had like a triple rum and coke because I wanted it like to work but yeah. at home it was vodka shots because I just I need to get there so mm -hmm. that's what I'm working on I'm not drinking vodka for the taste I'm drinking it for the effect yeah yeah Again, not classy. <laughs> Were you a social drinker or an anti-social drinker? Well, um, yeah, I mostly drink by myself, I would say. And I really didn't drink for a huge amount of time, like maybe like um, four really horrible years. And um, four years I is all. Uh-huh. But it was like bad. So I was like a weird person that like my, I grew up knowing my father was an alcoholic. And so I was like scared of alcohol. And so I refused to try it. It was like this, like weird, like, like we will not try this. This is bad. And then once I like, you know, ripped the seal, it was just sort of like, here I go. Um, and I was yeah. all in. And yeah, it was pretty quick that I like started um, drinking very heavily and, but I was by myself because like, I couldn't do it out like with other people because I was like a wreck. Like I would, you know, just. You would drink till you were a wreck. Uh-huh. Yeah, that was, that was kind of my case too on, on the drinking front of, um, there were times when I would drink, I would drink like a lady out in, in public where I had to. But I would often choose not to because it would just piss me off because I couldn't have what I wanted. Exactly. Um, but when I got home, it was on. It's like, I need to finish the job now. Let's get where we're going. Mm -hmm. um, and most of my drinking, especially at the end, you know, that, that last year, maybe two years of my drinking was almost entirely at home because it was the only safe place to drink the way mm -hmm. I like to drink. Yeah. Well, yeah. And I had such like specific rules about it because I um, felt so weird about alcohol in general because it was this sort of taboo thing. And so, um, yeah, like I made sure I was at home. I was safe. I always had like enough food so I wouldn't leave the house. But I was the drunk dialer. <laughs> so like he, he, he never, I'd go, I'd wake up and be like, who did I call last night? <laughs> Oh, and inevitably it was my mother, <laughs> my poor mom. Mm. Um, so there was that. And then I just uh, seemed to drink, drink, drink until I, um, I was somebody that could stop and just like stop for a really good long time. Um, and then if I started, I just couldn't stop. So it was just like, it was very much like turn the switch on and off with me. Okay. That, that's described as a periodic drinker. Usually. Is mm -hmm. that what you'd say? Yeah. So like, yeah, I could like stop for like a month at a time and oh. you know, get all my stuff together and, you know, wow. be really I could never successful. And then, but yeah, but if I had to drink just one, oh, I'd be so pissed at you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. No way. So during that, that month say that you weren't drinking, um, were you thinking about it? Was it, was it still like, oh my God, I really want to drink? Oh yeah. That's all I could think about is like, when's the next time? Oh my or, God. That's awful. Yeah. Or when's the last time? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm a true alcoholic. Can you believe it? I mean, you, you kind of sound like one to me. I mean, <laughs> but you know, that must be, so 
that must be really hard to surrender knowing that you can go, well, I quit for a month. My willpower works. Yeah, my willpower works. So how how did you get to the place where you decided that you were an alcoholic and you, and first off, when did you get sober? When's the last time you drank? So the last time I drank was August 1st, 2008. Um, and, but I have a new clean date of um, May 8th, 2018. So um, alcohol was the only thing that was part of my story for a very long time. And, um, and I stayed in AA for almost 10 years and that was my story. And that like, I drank really hard, uh, drank really fast. And I became like the poster child of AA. I like, you know, became the GSR. I, you know, did all the, all the things like sponsored the people, um, and all of that. Um, but then, uh, like, like I was really young when I came into the program and um, had never experienced drugs. And so- um, How old were you when you came into the program? I was 24 when I came in the program. I had never taken any drugs. I ended up being prescribed Xanax. I was going through this really horrible, um, I'm part of the medical community and went through a lawsuit and um, like, knowingly, you know, like I knew what the risks were and took it and took it fine until I didn't take it fine. And then, um, yeah, had relapsed. You got addicted. Pills. Mm-hmm. And so like, that's my story. And that was weird because I was still going to AA. Uh-huh. I was still going to all the meetings. I was still the GSR. I was still, you know, chairing. Um, nobody knew this was happening when it happened. And it uh, created quite a turmoil in my home group when it all came out. How long would you consider you knew it was a problem and you were hiding the fact that it was a problem? It was probably a couple of years. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Jen, the, the similarities in our stories on that are just, um, wow. I, I'm, yeah, I mean, I, I, my, mine wasn't uh, Xanax. It wasn't prescription meds. It was um, over-the-counter diet pills and poppers mm-hmm. for about two and a half years at yeah. about the same time in my sobriety. You know, my last drink of alcohol was 2003. I reset my sobriety in 2012. And in, in, in a similar, I was doing all the things. I was active and sponsoring. And I love it when I meet people like me. <laughs> I know. It, we think we're like unique and we're really not. <laughs> and that's a good thing. You know, that's like a, such a good thing to realize. It's like, oh my gosh, yeah. People get addicted and it's particularly yeah. difficult if a doctor's given you a prescription. Well, and I, because I was part of the medical community and like thought that like I like had, you know, was, there was so much like shame and like, because AA doesn't let you talk about drugs. I didn't want to talk to my sponsor yeah. about it. That my sponsor was really weird about mental health medications. And so that became a secret. And so all these secrets started happening and it was all like shamed from the program, honestly. And now I can look back and say like, oh my gosh, I was going through this horrible traumatic experience and needed like real mental health, like professionals, but like an AA was not that, you know? And so, um, Unfortunately, what it caused, I mean, again, like I'm so grateful where I am today and um, where I've turned out, but it was like, it was a painful time of like, just really feeling like a shit because like, I loved the program and here I was like, you know, not sober showing up to meetings, but I was doing the best I could. And, um, and people in AA not understanding that because they didn't understand like that addiction is more than just alcoholism. And well, so, so- but Jen, I don't think that's AA that's people in AA. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. You know, I, it's so important 
to have the conversations that we're having right now. And, and my one-on-one -on -one conversations and, and small group conversations, not meeting conversations, but you know, meeting after the meeting and things like that, involve these times when I get to talk about why I started over and drugs are part of my story. And also I will share in a heartbeat. I'm so glad I heard this figure. Drugs are mentioned 37 times in the big book. And the first time is on page seven. Yeah. Um, it's not something that does not belong in our conversation. It's not the focus of our meetings. Drug use is not the focus of our meetings, but damn, it needs to be available to be talked about. It's not a taboo subject. Mm -hmm. No. Yeah, I, I agree 100%, Sam. It's like we have a singleness of purpose that we don't want the program to become diluted so that we lose the fact that if for someone who's an alcoholic, this is an answer that absolutely works. So that's what the singleness of purpose is about. But that doesn't mean that we don't discuss other problems and other areas where you can get addicted in life, you know, I don't think. Yeah. Jen, what, what did you do when you started over? Did you stay solely with AA? So I did. Um, honestly, like I still have people who don't talk to me from my home group mm -hmm. um, that um, still just have hard feelings towards me. And so that's still like painful. And it's been three years. Um, yeah. That's you know, disappointing. We're... I've got to ask what... I've never heard of people not accepting yeah, someone who's starting sponsor. over. It was an old sponsor and an old sponsee who just like, I think really felt like duped by me and it was unintentional. Yeah. So That's, I started going to therapy um, and therapy was like amazing. And that's where I understood about emotions in women and how AA sometimes I think stuffs women's emotions a little bit more. Um, and that like, uh, I liked to define emotions as good or bad because, you know, resentment's our number one offender. And so I was like, oh no, I can't be angry. Um, mm -hmm. And then I found out, oh no, anger is actually a useful tool and I can use it good, you know, if I, you know, am not letting it turn into a resentment. It's and what so, we do with our anger. Exactly. And yeah. so, um, you know, I just, I was brought up with a mother with mental health issues. Um, and so her solution was to try to commit suicide. And so like, I, I thought feelings were just scary. And so I drowned them with alcohol and then, um, then I drowned them with pills. And then I learned that like, oh, I actually have to just feel them. And that's what a therapist taught me to do. And like, I needed that. I needed that outside source, but AA saved my life. Like I like was such an alcoholic, um, but I needed the therapy aspect of it to really understand some of the other things of like, how do I live like a very sensitive person in, in this world and not numb it every day? Well, that's what the whole, that's what the whole program is about. How do I live in the world, feel my feelings and act in a way that is positive for the world instead of acting in a self-destructive way or attacking the world, right. you know? Well, and there's a clear, a really point that I, that I just want to hammer home. And that is um, AA is not therapy. No, um, right. AA is not uh, medical help. And sometimes we need outside help and seeking it should never be denigrated. Uh, and, I'm, I'm grateful that we have it. I have used therapists myself several times throughout my recovery. Me too. Uh, it's, it's another thing. And I've used pain meds when I've had surgeries and, you know, I've, I've done these things. Um, I, I, I have a question for you, Jen. Um, so you had, uh, you had some bad experiences with people in the rooms with that restart. Did you have good experiences? Oh my gosh. Yes. And that's what I have to focus on because they're, I mean, I had this close knit community um, that I thought were, those would be the people, like if I ever imagined a relapse, I imagined this one group of people there would be there for me. And what happened was they weren't able to show up for me. 
and and that's okay. Like we're all sick people. Instead, you know, AA has all these other misfits who were able to show up in like surprises, like people that I never even imagined would show up that would be like, hey, you know, like if you weren't in the world anymore, I would be upset, you know, like they would, and like people would call me just randomly and say like, I just want you to know that like, I don't agree with what so-and-so is saying. And like, just, um, yeah, it's like really true humans and actually people outside of AA who um, loved me unconditionally. Like I, um, cause I had some unfortunately legal issues that happened with my relapse because it got even more complicated. So what happened was <laughs> I was going into an old sponsee's house and taking her Adderall. Um, but I used a key to go into her house. Well, she decided to, um, and she caught me and I fessed up and she still went to the police and got me arrested. And I was working at the jail at the time. Um, and so I was literally at the jail working in my professional capacity and they showed up to arrest me and it like, I've never been in trouble in my life. I've always been the good girl. And, um, yeah, that was, that was horrible. And, um, these drugs were becoming a problem. <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> I would say. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's. And gosh, and like, again, like people did not know that I, like I was managing, you know, mm -hmm. like nobody in my, my community, like a community knew my wife didn't know my employer didn't know, you know, like I'm in good standing with everyone because like, we are a strong lot, us yes, um, yes. addicts, <laughs> you know, we're able to like really put up with a lot of stuff. Yeah. So because I had those legal troubles, I couldn't work professionally for a little bit. And so I had friends who were non-alcoholics that entrusted me to work for their private businesses. And, you know, like I was, you know, arrested for breaking and entering. And I had a friend who had owned a dog walking company and she let me do like walk dogs for her. And was that your bottom? Keys. Yeah. I mean, that was, that was 2018. Um, that was like when I picked up my hopefully last white chip. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I had this, all these degrees, I had my doctorate and I couldn't use it because I had all these pending legal stuff and I just couldn't sit at home. And so mm -hmm. I just walked dogs for like three months while I waited for things to like, well, there's some support. Yeah. And it was great. You know, and then, you know, like people again showed up for me. That's, I think that's, go ahead. That's Sam. really an incredible part of this. And, and, I, and, and that was the reason I wanted to ask that question specifically is to show that, you know, it, it's not AA, it's some, pe some people, not even the bulk of them, but we've definitely got some sick people in these rooms. Um, I just had a conversation recently with someone that I love uh, who's in recovery, who is starting over. Mm. and uh, for reasons similar to mine. And the conversation, you know, one of the things that I, I, I wanted that person to know, and I wish I could have said this to you when you started over too, uh, is there are people in these rooms. There are, I have friends in recovery who I respect their recovery incredibly. And these are the people who not only were there for me, but they supported me so strongly. They, they were happy that I was starting over, that I had found another level of, of surrender, of, of honesty, of being willing to do what I need to do to save my life and have a good life. Yeah. And there are other people in these rooms who don't have what I want. Mm -hmm. And so they people, showed that in their reaction. Get, because people become rigid. I mean, there are people yeah. who become rigid and you can become rigid in sobriety as well. Absolutely. You can. But I, I think it's, it just, it bears repeating and repeating and repeating. There are people in these rooms, 
good hearted, loving people who want us to win. Right. And if that win means getting honest and starting over, they want that for us. Right. And, and if they don't want that, if somebody doesn't want that, that is about them. Yeah. That's about them and their rigidity. It's about, and forgiveness for, I mean, how could you not forgive someone for getting addicted <laughs> to drugs for drinking again? For doing do, the thing that is the most natural thing for an alcoholic and an addict to do. Absolutely. Get me out of my feelings. Yeah. And, you know, and that's what, that's what we're all, re, that's the reason we drank. And it's the reason that I use drugs. Mm-hmm. I wanted to get out of my feelings. I wanted to get out of myself. And, I, and recovery is learning how to live with myself and be in the world, be productive, positive force in the world instead of running away from it with all of that. But so I've seen people who picked a start over chip who got drunk mm-hmm. and started drinking again, picked up and they have sponsors because, because they, because they picked up the chip no. or they, no, they, no, they picked up the chip because they got drunk. That's right. Yes. Okay. They, they, they started drinking again and then had to start over and they okay. picked a start over chip. They have sponsees. Well, certain sponsees love them and like going understand, you know, they've got a different sponsor. So other sponsees are wounded. I know, I know a guy who came out as gay and lost a sponsee because he, he felt betrayed by him. It's like, what, how can you feel betrayed by that? I mean, this guy's living his life, trying to figure his life out. And what all that is, is that those people who are so, I think that this is what the answer is. This is something I learned when I was trying to do my uh, amends. I was saying, well, I need these other people to forgive me. He was going, this one guy was going, said, uh, well, Don, where does forgiveness come from? It comes from the part of you that is bigger than yourself. When you're going above your, your ego, to go, okay, I forgive you for this. And so that's coming from your higher power. That's the part of you that's higher than your, your lower power. So where does forgiveness come from? It comes from God. And it's, it's your spiritual journey to forgive. So you can't demand another person be further along their spiritual journey than they are. And they can't, if they can't forgive, then that is about them. Because if, if you've cleared your side of the street, then you've, you know, you're doing all you can do. Yeah. A phrase that was really useful to me, and it speaks to, to that type of thing in, in relation to um, sobriety time or clean time. Time is not a tool. Someone who identified himself as a retread when I started over and kind of wrapped his arm around me. Um, he died recently. He was a really good guy. Philip, he told me time is not a tool. And that struck me in such a wonderful way because there are people who their journey, their spiritual journey they, they can achieve that place of connection with a higher power and, and all that in a short amount of time. And there are some people who wax and wane drastically. And there are some people who take a long time yeah. on that journey. Time is not the tool though. Time is right. not going to keep me sober. Time is not a good measure of the quality of my sobriety. Yes. It's, yeah. a, it's a daily thing. Yeah. Where I am today. I believe that now. I believe that now. It was hard though. You know, it was hard, like picking up that new chip. Like uh, when it, I was hard, so close to 10 years and, and I was like, does this mean like those 10 years don't matter? And, you know, it took a while to really understand what that meant. Um, and I think we get so stuck on sobriety dates sometimes, I think, and anniversaries. And it, it's more, it should be more about the quality of our sobriety. Um, and I, I know we need to like, we need to celebrate, you know, the time we, we stay away from a drink. Absolutely. But it, it can't be only that because I know that like, there are things that I can do, like 
yes, I don't want to pick up a drink today. And yes, I don't want to use a drug today. But like, I also like, there's like being part of AA or being part of the program is more than just stopping something now. Now it's about um, being of service and being a useful, productive member of society. If something is getting in the way of that, and I'm not able to be my true authentic self, like that's where is like, is more sad, saddening to me. I don't know. It's just like, um, so like this, like AA is more my spiritual purpose and more of like the, the road of um, like, it's not just the stop the cessation of, of something. It's, Mm -hmm. it's more of like continuing on with um, more, you know, more work. So what are you, what are you doing today to stay sober? What's your week like? So I travel a lot for work. And what that means is that um, with the, one of the silver linings of COVID is the Zoom meetings. I get to like stay with my home group when I travel. So that's yeah. been really fun. So I still go to quite a few meetings a week, three or four meetings a week. Um, I am always talking with my sponsor and I have lots of sober sisters, as we say. You say um, always so- talking with your sponsor. How many times a day do you talk to your, I mean, how many times a a week do you talk to your sponsor? Yeah, it's probably like almost every day we we chat and it doesn't have to necessarily be AA like specific, but it's just sort of touching base with her um, and, and another alcoholic. So as long as I'm touching base with at least one other alcoholic a day, I feel good that like I, cause it reminds me that like I'm like that I'm still an alcoholic um, and that I still need this program. That is um, how we stay sober is by t- talking to other alcoholics mm-hmm. and help. That's, that is the fundamental that Bill discovered when he made that telephone call to Dr. Bob exactly. trying to find another alcoholic to help him stay sober. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah. And working with sponsees has, has always been like the bright spot. It's been weird since I picked up my new white chip because of like just the issues I had. Um, and I just still am working on um, building up trust again. With but, Well, with the program of AA, I guess. And <laughs> that like, you know, I just... I, I mean, I, st- I still sponsor women, um, but I am, yeah, I just think I am more thoughtful about, about things now um, and who, who I get my information from and, and everything. So are we, now are we talking about personalities? Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I guess I just thought like, I, I was, I didn't know better because I was like so young coming in the program. Everyone seemed so wise. Uh-huh. And then I did, I thought everyone had their stuff together. And then I'm like, Oh no, people are really sick. You know? <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> Some are sicker than others. Yeah. And so, yeah, realizing that now and being like, yeah, being able to like, just sort of like pause and like, listen and, and find find the ones that are sharing like what I want. Can um, you trust your sponsor? Yes. I have an incredible sponsor. I have an there incredible you go. sponsor. Beautiful. And That's I, the secret. It, it's it, a thing that I have found based on my restart is, you know, what, what's the message that I have to carry? What, what purpose did I get from doing that? And for me, it's, it's the, the, I, my message is telling people who are in middle recovery, people who've got several years under their belts, um, keep working the steps. You know, I worked the steps one time and I didn't ever, I never worked them again with any other sponsor. Mm-hmm. Um, and so my message to people is work the steps with every sponsor. Uh, mm-hmm. And, and that's an important thing for me. That's the distillation of, of all that I, I, got from when I reviewed what was going on with me. It seems to me that your opportunity is to talk, you know, those one-on-one conversations of, uh, with people about trust and, and how things may be taken with a grain of salt, so to speak. 
what about Sam? So how is it different? I bet it's not that different, but I don't know. I have not had to pick a start over chip up since I came into AA, but I imagine that the hardest thing with picking a start over chip is feeling like that here I am going to do this again and it didn't work. So AA failed me. Jen, is that somewhat what you're feeling? Um, I guess it's not so much that AA failed me. It's people said, I'm so glad you came back. And I said, I never left, you know, because I was me still too. coming, you know, and I was still being a part of it. And like, this was just, and that I think was what made it so messy is that I didn't go away and have a relapse mm-hmm. is like, yeah. um, it, I did it all in front of everyone else. And so I think that's where it got confusing for folks is that they couldn't put me in a, um, you know, in a, in a box and say what, what, what that meant. It was more that like, yeah, AA couldn't be my only solution. I needed outside help. Um, Mm -hmm. and I needed professionals and it turned out I had like, was suffering from severe PTSD and I didn't know that, you know, and it was like, I just, couldn't be honest because I was just afraid to be labeled as something, you know? And like when I was taking, was prescribed Xanax, like I didn't want to, the reason I started going into other people's medicine cabinets is because I didn't want to tell my um, medical provider that I needed more because I didn't want her to label me as an addict. And so, you know, it's like You're this, acting like an addict. <laughs> yeah, totally crazy. And it's yeah. crazy thinking, it, you know? But not and, really. That's, that's the way. Yeah. Drugs make us think. Yeah. And so it's just like, it's just really understanding that like, I need outside help. I can't be my help. Yeah. That there needs to be more than just AA in my recovery. I hear you. I, and I, I, I relate so strongly to you talking about, they couldn't put me in a box. I, you know, I had people in AA telling me, you don't need to start over. Not for that. my, me telling my story in AA now, you know, I'm one of those pariahs that talks about drugs during my story. Mm -hmm. Um, And then also Crystal Meth Anonymous, um, meeting guys in CMA was the pivotal point in my recovery that had me realize that, oh shit, I can't say that I'm sober and have integrity. Right. And I, found be these men that I've just fell in love with in CMA and I joined CMA. Crystal meth is not part of my story. They welcomed me anyway, um, mm. but I'm not a crystal meth addict. So right. while I have done general service in CMA, um, one of the things I don't do is I don't speak uh, at CMA meetings because mm-hmm. I don't fit in the box. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there is a, a sense of othering that I have experienced in because of this restart. But there's another thing that I got from this, and this is where we get to leave Don out. Don, you're the odd man out now. Those of us who have started over have a, a special connection too. Um, it's that same thing that someone who is not an alcoholic can't really 100% get what it is to be an alcoholic someone who has started over, particularly after having some time. Yeah. People who haven't been through that, there's something about it that you just can't get. Mm. (laughs) So what hope can you give uh, them, Sam? Uh, And coming back. There's still connection. For the people who don't get it, who are working a program and trying to live a life the way that I would like to live, they want to get it. They want to understand. It's not a judgmental thing. They want to understand. They want my success. Um, But the other thing is, is that it really is, Jen, as you mentioned earlier, it it took my focus away from time. Um, Picking up whatever year chip is not a big deal anymore. Mm -hmm. My focus is on what's the quality of my life and how can I help people who are 
going through what it appears that I had gone through. Because that's something that I've happened. Particularly, I, I still recall a, a conversation with somebody at a roundup, uh, just a you know, uh, hospitality sweet conversation with someone, maybe within a year of my starting over. And I talked with him about what I had gone through and what I was going through. And he heard what he needed to hear from that conversation he was backing away from working the program. He was doing it his own way instead of his sponsor's way. He hadn't worked the steps in a long time uh, and, and this, that, and the other. And it was that thing that this guy in middle sobriety needed to hear because his story was mimicking mine. He was headed where I had been. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if it took for him or not, but I know that we had a great conversation and he had an awakening in that conversation. And the thing is this, that's nothing that he, I suspect would have ever gotten from me sharing in a meeting because I had to share in a general way in a meeting. But those one-on-one conversations with people who are approaching, who are living similarly to what I did before I started over. And those of us who have started over, we really help each other. We've got a connection and we help people not have to start over. And like, I would say one of the things that I'm so grateful for is that, you know, before I was just this sort of this, you know, like when I started off telling you my story, I only drank for three or four years of my life and drank heavy and then got sober and la di da, I was Pollyanna. Um, then my story got real messy. Um, and I'm grateful for that because it gives me so much more perspective. Um, so that when someone else comes in the program, I am like so much less likely to judge them because like, I know what it feels like to be judged. Cause I've, I've literally been judged by people in AA who, you know, people say like, Oh, you'll, you'll feel never feel judged here. Um, it's like, Nope. Um, people are are people everywhere. And, um, I'm just so grateful to like have that experience so that like now that is a way that like I can be of service and get to share that, um, it's okay. Like there's no judgment. Like we, like we care about you no matter what. Um, and we are all still sick and still just trying to do our best that we can do. Here's what I'm thinking from all of this. If I am in the middle of the program, if I'm working with other people, if I am seeking out my higher power and trying to live and let go of my will to be as empty as a chocolate rabbit, (laughs) then not fighting the world, letting go, reaching out and helping others and doing an inventory on a daily basis of myself. How am I doing? What am I doing today? That's what step 11 is. Mm -hmm. Then I hope I can trust that I will be able to see if I'm not doing that and and stop that behavior before it becomes a problem. Because I have caught myself. I've caught myself in self-righteousness. I've caught myself in being judgmental. I've caught myself in being a victim of the world and hanging on to it and go, wait a minute, I'm doing it. I got to, I got to quit. I got to turn that over. So if we're living in the program, we don't have to suddenly find ourselves addicted to something else. Do you think that's true? I want to know because I don't want to drink again. (laughs) Well, I, here's the thing is I like want to tell people is like, you don't know. It's like, you just only have right now. And so like, you can't make any assumptions or anything. We have a disease and our disease wants us to drink. And so I think that's the other thing is like, we do such shame of people who pick up and stuff like that when it's just like, Oh my gosh, like how much are we? Wait a second. We don't. Some people did. Yes. Yeah. Um, I've never had shame seeing somebody pick up and and start over. Sam, have you ever had shame for somebody who started over? I'm going to be brutally honest here. No, but I have been annoyed. 
at repetitive start over, someone who just, just keeps on being messy, mm-hmm. but not to them. Not, and I haven't talked about them behind their backs either. It's been an internal thing. And if, and were they to ask for help, I would absolutely help them. Um, I'm not going, I'm not going to shame someone for trying to get help. I mean, shit, that's like uh, uh, all, all of those uh, smug little gym bunnies who are being jerks to people who come into the gym at the start of the, of the year with those new year's resolutions. Mm-hmm. Don't be an asshole to someone who's trying to get better. <laughs> yeah. Be of help. I just don't understand this idea of shaming people who come back in. You've said before, we don't shoot our wounded. Yeah. I think that it's, I mean, I've just saw somebody start over. Everyone in the group was embracing them. It's like, I, it is certain people who are not well, who are judging and, and shaming Jen. It is not AA. Right. No, I, I agree. And I believe that I do. I want you to feel loved. <laughs> and and I do. And I do. And that's why I keep coming back. And even when sometimes I didn't feel like I didn't know where my place was, I knew this was my answer because it was always my answer. This has always been my answer. And so even when it didn't quite fit, um, I just kept showing up and, uh, and it, it feels good again, you know, like I've gotten a new um, inner group again and, um, and good. I feel loved again. So yeah, it's, yeah. I've just, you know, I learned a lot, you know, I was young and I, you know, some, sometimes like that's just part of life. Um, but um, I definitely did you get a did. new group? <laughs> I stayed with the same group, but cause other, the other people left the group, like the, the ones that, um, aren't talking to me anymore, left that home group. So I stayed with the home group and like the true home group members stayed on as well. And my new sponsor is like, has been with the home group for ages. And that's what I, I feel great that I like, they didn't take the group from me because that was like so important to me that, that home group. You need to have a group where you really feel at home and feel loved. You do. Mm -hmm. I um I just want to call out something real quick, Jen. That uh, you know Don, in his crotchety old timer way, was just like doing this wonderful thing. That there's there's a group on Facebook that I love, or a page called Ominous Positivity Memes, and they're very threatening, love oriented things. <laughs> <laughs> and that was totally where crotchety old timer was coming from there. <laughs> I want you to feel loved. <laughs> I it. It was so Nobody's nice. going to tell me that I don't love you. <laughs> you guys have made me feel so loved. Oh, like, really. We're going to love you until you can't take it. <laughs> okay, here we are. We've got three pictures of us. We're in our got a little Hollywood squares here of Zoom. Group hug. Put your arms out. <laughs> I do miss that at the end of a meeting, being able to hug each other and shake hands and pat each other on the back. And well, you know, speaking of Don being a crotchety old timer, who you calling an old timer? You. (laughs) It's time for our old timers question. Yeah, I'm calling you an old timer. You calling an old timer, Sam? <laughs> you know that no matter how long you've been sober, it's still one day at a time. That's the way it works for all of us. <laughs> uh, you can post a question to us at boiledowlaa.org. We have a question from Megs in DC. When are we going to talk about the family? They're the problem. Ooh. <laughs> I've been to uh, uh, maybe a thousand speaker meetings since I've been sober again and again and again. I've heard people get sober that had horrible family situations, terrible family situations, way worse than mine. People whose parents abandoned them, people whose parents physically beat them continuously. 
people who didn't, who never knew if they were going to have food. That was not my family. Then I I've heard, saw other people who had parents who loved them unconditionally would do anything for them, supported them in every way, nurtured them, built up their self-esteem. It didn't make any difference. All of them drank. And when they drank, alcohol took over. And eventually I got to the place where I could see, because I blamed my family. It was one of the things that if you, you know, if you'd grown up with the situation I grew up in, you would drink too. No, it's not true. The fact is I'm an alcoholic and I have a, a chemical um, imbalance inside of me. And when I drink alcohol, it takes over and I have to have more. On a physiological level, that's what alcohol is for me. And I, I believe it to be the case. And it doesn't make any difference about nurture or nature, nurture, or nature, you know. So the nurture, the family, doesn't make any difference. If I've got the genes, I'm going to be an alcoholic because that was the case with all those people with all those situations. Hmm. But I've got to look at, uh, in the inventory, we use in the 12 steps. I take an inventory and look to where my behavior has harmed other people. And in that, I'm going to be looking at my family and what I did. And, and so much of what with my family, things that happened to me happened before, when I was little. And I couldn't do, I can't do anything about what happened then. And I couldn't do anything about it then because I was a little tiny kid. I was, I was, I didn't have any power. I didn't have any authority. So what was my part in that? I came to discover with a lot of therapy. When I came into AA, I've been going to a therapist for about three years, looking at my family. What therapy do, did was help me to see through the denial and look at painful things in my past instead of run away from them. But it didn't touch my drinking because I was hoping I could look at that and go to therapy and then I'd be able to drink normally. It didn't happen. <laughs> but what AA did was say, look at the past and say, is what was my part? And my part was holding on to it as an adult, continuing to hold on to the pain because it made me feel it gave me some sense of power, and I, used, I was still using the tools that a nine-year-old uses to deal emotionally with traumatic things. And at one point, I was like 55 years old, mowing the grass, being mad at my father, who had been dead for a year. And I was mad at an argument that we got into back when I was 12 years old. And I was like, wait a minute, I'm doing it now. <laughs> I'm doing it. I'm reliving it. I'm mad at him. He's not even here. So who's to blame here? It's me because it makes me feel powerful to be angry about it. It gives me back some sense of power in a situation where I had none. So it's in there, the family's in there, but I don't think it has anything to do with alcoholism. It's in the steps is what I do. And I think it's in if family issues are really traumatic, then by all means get help outside of AA. Thanks, Don. Jen, when are we gonna talk about the family? They're the problem. <laughs> yeah, I think for me, I had to, um, in early sobriety, separate myself from my family. And because um, they, I had a lot of still sick and suffering active drinkers. Um, and so what that meant though, they, they got to see me get sober and they got to see what that uh, looked like. And so some, you know, my father got sobriety later um, in life. And then my older brother got sobriety because, you know, like he saw me um, going into AA. And so I feel like the family can be healed 
through the program, but like we each have to have our own program. I have a wife who does Al-Anon and she doesn't do Al-Anon because of me. She does Al-Anon because she's got her own stuff. And um, that's a whole other thing, you know, with family. And like, we just love to keep secrets and we love to just love people till they're (laughs) dead. (laughs) You know, it's like (laughs) just too much, you know? Um, And so I think, um, AA and Al-Anon are really helpful with like learning how to have boundaries and like dealing with, with people um, where I didn't know how to do any of that stuff. Is it my turn? It's your turn. Ditto. Uh. <laughs> no, just, I mean, when are we going to talk about the family? They're the problem. They, they may or may not be the problem. Uh, yeah, there's no doubt. Uh, what I know is that AA helped me with my alcoholism and beyond that. So AA helped me to stop drinking, which got the alcohol out of the way, which was a huge obstacle for me to, uh, against me living life. Um, But the other thing that's happened in recovery is that I've learned through willingness, through some uh, listening to other people's experiences and through my own experiences uh, and and that, again, that willingness, that willingness to, to change, to be changed, to look at things differently, I've learned to live my life better. We come and get sober in AA, and some of us go on to enjoy skyrocketing careers of you know, wealth and, and all kinds of stuff. And some of us uh, live in, in, in modest means, live with very modest means. Um, some of us uh, have in, rebuild incredible relationships with family and friends, um, and some of us don't. Um, the thing about Alcoholics Anonymous in this program is that it enables me to live with whatever life brings without having to turn to alcohol and drugs um, to, to deal with it. Um, it gives me a fighting chance to deal with life on life's terms, one of our wonderful cliches. Um, And those things, like I said, it can be things that we just think are absolutely incredible and over the top and and wonderful. And it can be things that are horribly uh, painful and and not what we wanted with our life. Um, But we find this acceptance, if you will, not approval necessarily. It doesn't mean I don't, you know, when things happen that I don't like, I don't try to make changes. Um, but um, I'm able to, to live life better because I'm not getting drunk over it. And that's what Alcoholics Anonymous is for me. Um, there's a whole lot of wonderful things that are side effects of it. Incredible side effects of my being a member of an active member of Alcoholics Anonymous has yielded incredible side effects in my life. But those side effects are... Um, what is it, Jen? Is it is it is it off prescription use? Something like that? Is off that the label. Term? Off, off label, label use. Mm-hmm. Yes, that's off. All those wonderful side effects of my working the program of Alcoholics Anonymous are off label use of the program of Alcoholics Anonymous. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> like uh, starting a podcast and having yes. a pet owl. <laughs> 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 Oh, we have another owl in the house. (laughs) Jen, thanks for being here today. Thanks for having me. We love you. We love you so much. You're just not going to be able to take it. (laughs) (laughs) All right, Jen, I told you about those live animals. Here it comes again. Thanks for joining us. The Boiled Owl podcast is posted on the 1st and 15th of every month. If you'd like to contribute to help with expenses, information on that is at the bottom of our website. Visit us at boiledowlaa.org or email giveahoot at boiledowlaa.org. If you want to know more about AA, Google Alcoholics Anonymous in your city or visit aa.org. Please note Boiled Owl AA is produced by members of Alcoholics Anonymous and only expresses our experience and opinions. It is not endorsed by AA World Services.
so yeah, we're going to start off with just a little bit of banter between me and Don, and uh, and then we'll introduce you. And uh, Don's going to do the hardest, or you, the hardest part of the whole thing is going to happen. Then Don's going to ask you a question. And you need to change your script. Yeah, whatever. It's that, not the hardest part. That's it is not hard, that hard. It is You're setting most, up expectations. But that's the for, point. It is the the whole thing is easy. That's the hardest part of it. You're going to get asked a question. So you're saying that it's really easy. Yeah. But it's, it's super but easy. the but there's the most the, awkward part. The most is awkward. The beginning the conversation. Yeah. Use awkward. I'm going to awkward in your you. script. I'm gonna throw a I, fro- I'm gonna ca- throw a frozen boiled owl oh at you. Gosh, I've been <laughs> like taking. You guys are married. I've been taking <laughs> issue with this hardest part now. The most awkward ask- part. It's awkward. It's not hard, Jen. The most okay. excruciating part, Jen, <laughs> is when Don is going to ask you a question to get the conversation started.